0: It's crucial that South Aucklanders can access the care they need and deserve in fit-for-purpose facilities that support better health and wellbeing. That's what people should expect of us. And to date, we haven't always done the best we can in making sure we overcome those health inequalities.
1: The review is very clear.
2: We can do better. The review found that our health and disability workforces are under considerable stress and our system is complex and fragmented.
1: The problems we have, I believe, in the system is not because of ill will of any part of the system. It's not just because this part of the system doesn't talk to that part of the system. It's that we treat the parts of the system as independent bits and we focus too
2: much on those. Kia ora, I'm Emile Donovan, and today on The Detail, it's been billed as the biggest shake-up to the health system in a generation. Heather Simpson's Health and Disability System Review has just been released, and it paints the picture of a confusing monolith, with a vast, unfocused sprawl of DHBs, sections of the system siloed off from one another and ingrained prejudices leading to serious imbalances in the quality that some communities receive. These sorts of reports are hard to digest at the best of times, so we asked RNZ's health correspondent Rowan Quinn to pop in and help us translate what this review is actually saying. Rowan, kia ora. Hi, Emil. David Clark said, Our health and disability workforces are under considerable stress and our system is complex and fragmented. Can you just outline, what does he mean when he is talking about that?
0: Well, I mean, where do you begin? I guess when we talk about our workforce as one of the things I I think that in health reporting we hear about the most, about the stresses that doctors, nurses, technicians are under. There's a real shortage in a lot of fields in New Zealand and that then leads to stress on the doctors and the other healthcare workers uh, in the system, but also it impacts the care that, That hospitals and DHBs even GPs can provide and and so we have a lot of long waiting lists in New Zealand Um, it can depend on what district health board area you're in, it can depend what you're having done but uh, one of the worst ones at the moment is for an an MRI which is used to diagnose things like cancer um, and a lot of other serious illnesses, it's a, um, you know, when you go get fed into a big magnetic tube um, and takes an inside picture of your body, it's really hard to um, get an MRI at the moment. Uh, I think the targets, a lot of DHBs are only at about 30% of the target they're supposed to hit. So, you know, there are shortages everywhere in the system and I guess this is what this is trying to sort out a bit.
2: Does it go into what we are doing well and what we are not doing well in the health system?
0: There's a lot of praise about the the staff and the workers and, and the dedicated nature of their personalities or the work that they do, how much. They care about patients but there's an acknowledgement that sometimes the system lets them down and I guess that also you were talking there a little bit about the complexity of the system, the fact that we have these 20 district health boards and care can vary quite a lot depending what district health board area you're in. So uh, last week the uh, chair of the county's Manukau DHB was saying how you know, you might be on a long waiting list in their
2: area. Whereas if you're on the other side of the Tamaki River or- the Manukau Harbour, you might get in to see uh, the conditions earlier than you would here.
0: So there's not equality of care in lots of ways for New Zealanders, but where you live is one of the ways that that can be impacted.
2: At the moment, how does the structure of the health system work in terms of how the Ministry of Health works with DHBs? Like how is health care implemented in New Zealand?
0: Well, the government sets it's agenda for healthcare, and then it's up to the ministry to then um, work out how to um, make that happen, I guess, and to set the the policy, and then it's up to the DHBs to then run the hospitals and some of the primary care, which is GPs and kind of community care in their areas. So doctors, nurses, technicians, cleaners, everyone who works in a hospital is employed by a DHB. So they're kind of doing the operational stuff. The ministry's more setting the policy. It's handing out the funding and it's the health minister that's deciding the direction of that. And also how much money to give. And there was a big injection in this year's budget for... DHBs $4 billion, so it was huge. And then those DHBs decide how that's distributed. They then have to give some of that money to GPs and and community care, and that makes GPs very antsy because uh, they feel that Their fate sort of rests in the hands of the DHBs a little bit, and one of the things they are hoping that this report will address is that there'll be some more surety about their funding. Um, There's a little bit of detail of that in the report where it's saying that it wants DHBs to ring-fence funding for primary care, community care Uh, and so the GPs like the idea of that certainty but they're saying, like a lot of doctors are, that the devil is in the detail when it comes to this report there's some nice ideas in there but it is all about how it's
3: implemented We think the creation of some of the centralised agencies, Health New Zealand, the Māori Health Authority, are really welcome Um, that it'll be mandatory for there to be a public health advisory committee We think the pressure to continue to integrate services between primary care communities and hospitals um, is important and useful. We're not sure if having fewer DHBs is necessarily going to make much odds.
0: Māori health experts say major plans to overhaul the health system and create a Māori health authority don't go far enough.
3: It needs to have a principal accountability back to whānau. That's the core principle that was called for in the Waitangi tribe, you not?
2: Four high-needs communities were identified which haven't been well served by the health system, which were Māori, Pacifica, the disabled, and rural communities. If you are a member of those communities, how will the health system look better for you if these recommendations are implemented?
0: Well, I mean, it's a big question and it's probably different for all of them. When it comes to Māori health outcomes, they have a life expectancy, it's about 7 years less as a group than non-Māori. So there's a huge disparity there and there's long been an acknowledgement that the health system doesn't serve the needs of those communities and and Heather Simpson in this report is saying that there has to be a greater focus of Kopapa Māori or the Māori way of doing things in our health system if you're going to even begin to address those problems.
2: GP and Associate Professor at the University of Auckland, Matire Harwood, says failures for Māori occur at different levels of the health system and this leads to shorter lifespans, higher rates of mental health disease and suicide and higher death rates across the age groups, particularly in middle age and children.
3: So I think the health outcomes are ultimately what's most distressing for us. But then we're seeing um, inequities and things like access to health care and even differences in the quality of care that's being provided by different services within the health system.
2: When Māori patients go to hospital, do you feel like it is the case that Māori patients are treated differently by doctors, by nurses, by the people who we think of as being the health system? Or is it more sort of deeply rooted and, I guess, institutional than that?
3: I think think there are issues across each of those levels, again. I think, as you say, there's an institutionalised racism that exists in our health system where the system isn't set up for Māori, it's set up for um, people who have good health literacy, who can engage with um, a health workforce that looks like them, talks like them, comes from the same background as them and is located in places that are easy to access for the majority of New Zealand's population, as well as I think that cultural safety exists and advantages certain populations in New Zealand over others. I think we need to tackle things at each and every one of those levels. So I think the report um, does deliver on a number of good things for Māori health. It does talk about having te tiriti governance um, across the whole health system. So it speaks about having um, a Māori health authority that has a good relationship with the Ministry of Health and a partnership with the Health New Zealand Authority that they, they speak about. It also delivers on having mātauranga Māori principles espoused through every aspect of the healthcare system and it also looks at ensuring that there's adequate funding for Kaipapa Māori services, the Kāpapa Māori workforce development and innovation. Where it hasn't perhaps delivered and where um, the Māori Health Authority would like to maybe push or challenge the minister, is actually having um, more funding so that a Māori Health Authority has as much power to fund and monitor and contract services that are going to deliver on Māori health outcomes.
2: I guess that the, the danger here from some perspectives is the idea that a Māori health authority is being set up in order to tick boxes or may end up being sort of, you know, another layer of bureaucracy in an already pretty swollen area. Is that a threat in your opinion or are there ways that that could be mitigated
3: I think it's definitely a threat, the way that the report reads at the moment. I mean, if we wanted to take it to the worst-case scenario for um, Māori and the Māori Health Authority, it would be an advisory role, where uh, Māori are only, like you say, ticking a box and providing advice on how services should be funded and delivered and who gets to hold contracts and who they are accountable to and what outcomes they need to be delivering on. Um, But I think the group, the majority of the panel and the six members of the Māori Expert Advisory Group said, no, no, we need to ensure that they're getting equitable funding in order to deliver on some of these outcomes. So I think that's what I'd love to see things moving forward.
0: This new Māori Health Authority would sit alongside uh, the other new entity that the report recommends um, creating called Health NZ, which would be in charge of services and finances. Uh, And so that's an acknowledgement that Maori health needs are different, and there's a lot to to redress. Uh, the reaction to that has been a bit mixed. You know, uh, some people in Maori health are saying, "Oh, this is great. It sounds sounds really good." Others are saying it's a bit toothless. Um, Heather Simpson said. Even the panel that created this report couldn't decide on whether this Māori health authority should have the ability to fund all the Māori health services and to set its own policy. So there's disagreement even in those experts that wrote this report about that. So some Māori health providers are saying that this report really has no teeth, it's kind of a a bit waffly. Others are saying, well, yeah, it's good that there's an acknowledgement of these problems. Uh, when it comes to rural health people um one of the big disparities there is that it's hard to access services so if you have to you have to drive four hours to go to a fifteen minute appointment that's probably a worst case scenario but you know you you or at least a couple of hours and you're going for a fifteen minute appointment it makes it harder for people to access there's a lot of staffing shortages in those areas as well, so that's difficult. So one of the ways that this report proposes to redress that is to look at Better staffing, um, better division of services and sharing of services across DHBs, more um, virtual appointments. Um, it's suggesting yeah, recruiting more doctors into those areas and also making sure that these new streamlined DHBs have to focus on how they're going to serve rural communities. But then again, maybe you know having a bigger DHB with a much bigger rural community will actually make that harder. Mm.
2: We talked about fragmentation before, and one of the big criticisms of the health system has been that there are too many DHBs and that this leads to sort of a great big um, sprawling kind of system um, with a lack of communication. How does this report propose to help that situation?
0: Well, it's talking about slashing the number of DHBs. So there's 20 at the moment. It's saying um, it would like to see between 8 and 12. Uh, we know that there is already some cooperation with DHBs. The, the, up here in Auckland, the um, three DHBs here and the Northland DHB all grouped together for the COVID nineteen response, and they also share some other services. The Southern DHB is actually a, a, already was a merger between Otago and the Southland DHB. So there's a little bit of that happening. They want it to happen more. Uh, there is a worry that that could make the DHBs too big that they won't understand what's happening in their communities that you know you take a tiny little DHB like Whanganui DHB and say if it merged with Taranaki are the two communities the same you know so that's the concern about that the other part of the DHB reforms they're suggesting is ditching all the elected members so at the moment every year we have to, when we vote for councils we can vote for who's on our DHB Um, that causes a lot of confusion for a lot of people because a lot of the people on the DHBs aren't high profile so there's a really low turnout and Some people aren't even aware that some of the members of these boards are elected. So there's a plan to scrap all that together. There's been a little bit of talk yesterday about whether that will lead to political flunkies being appointed and they'll just be there kind of towing the party line and not representing the community properly. Uh, And the... Health Minister David Clark has responded to that by saying that under this plan, if it all goes ahead, the DHBs will have to consult with communities. So they'll have to create a plan and put it out to the community for consultation in the same way that we might see um, councils doing.
2: On one hand, that's sort of eroding democracy in a sense, isn't it? But on another hand, who am I to know who's going to be best qualified to run my DHB? I guess that's the balance. That I know, it's a, really,
0: it's a really tricky one, isn't it? Because... It's a really noble ideal to think that we all can have a say in our health boards and we can choose who's on there. But then if we don't really know who they are when we're ticking the box and probably only, um, you know, you you do hear a lot of people saying, oh, well, I read up and I read the little blurb and I try and make a good decision. But, you know, that's a little blurb on a little election booklet. So, yeah, you, you have to wonder how studied i guess that those decisions are
2: Here the Simpson is talking about you know things like data collection and administration being a really important part of this This all sounds very expensive How is the cost of this going to be managed
0: Well we don't know you know there's a this is a report about what should happen but it doesn't talk a lot about where The funding for that will happen. Um, We don't yet know for sure that all of this will be implemented either. Heather Simpson has said she thinks it comes as a package, that it all works together and you can't pick and choose what you want to adopt.
1: One of the biggest sort of directions of change that we, we talk about is the need to make the system operate as a system instead of operating as 20 different systems. Because at the moment, that's probably the biggest barrier to actually at, at moving on. As we say in the report, health systems will always be complex. They don't have to be as complicated as the one that we make.
0: David Clark, the health minister, has said, yep, yeah, we really like this, he's got Cabinet on board, they, li- they love the report in principle. He says he can't see anything wrong with it personally.
2: Cabinet has accepted the case for reform and the direction of travel outlined in the review. Specifically, changes that will reduce fragmentation, strengthen leadership and accountability, and improve equity of access and outcomes for all New Zealanders.
0: But actually, over the next few months, they'll be deciding piece by piece what is implemented and what is not. So there is a risk that some things won't be implemented it will also some of them will require legislation I guess that's expensive but we don't really know about the cost because we don't yet know exactly what will be put in place and what won't but you would think setting up two whole new crown entities doesn't come cheap
2: you we, we talked about the implementation of the Maori Health Authority there is a second authority that you' you were talking about just then, which is Health New Zealand. Can you just explain, what would the function of Health New Zealand be and where would it kind of sit in the hierarchy of of everything?
0: Well, it would answer to the Ministry of Health but also, sort of sit alongside it. So, the Ministry of Health would still create health policy and keep an eye on how the country is, to have an overview of, I guess, of how the country is doing and its health targets and stuff. But what the um, Health NZ, it's its working title, would have to do is make sure that that direction was carried out so it would be in charge of the services, the kind of operational stuff of health, of dishing out the money to the DHBs and uh, of making sure that, because the DHBs would have to do health plans and they'd put that into Health NZ and then Health NZ would be allocating the resources and the services and making sure that everything was done. So I guess what it is is it's the practical side of healthcare care at, at a government level. It's making sure that all that practical stuff, the money, the services, is happening and taking place. Okay. So
2: is it sort of like the ministry decides on health policy, the DHBs are responsible for implementing that and then Health N Z would sort of be checking out the DHBs and making sure that they're doing their jobs.
0: Exactly right. Yeah, yeah.
2: Many of these recommendations it would seem Will be quite difficult to measure, particularly things like uh, embracing more diverse viewpoints and introducing uh, different philosophies into healthcare. Is there an element here, or has there been criticism of this report? being based on admirable sentiment and saying all the right things in the right way and using all of the right words, but actually being very difficult to judge the success of implementation.
0: Yeah, there has. And, you know, a lot of the health experts, they're only just wrapping their head around this anyway. It's a report that came out a couple of days ago. It's 236 quite dense pages. and But what doctors are saying at the moment is yep, this is most doctors, yep, we sort of like most of it, it seems pretty good, but the devil's in the detail and they are sort of reluctant to give it their wholehearted tick without knowing how it actually is implemented and... Uh, how some of those, as you say, those kind of noble ideas are fleshed out and how they work in practice.
2: Obviously, this report has been in the works for a long time, much longer than COVID-19 has been around. But has COVID-19 been sort of a shadow in the background? Does it directly relate to any of the areas that this report addresses? Have any of the authorities spoken about COVID-19 and how it relates to the report?
0: Well, Heather Simpson uh, must have changed her introduction to the report in the wake of COVID-19. There had been a call from salaried medical specialists that the report be redone after COVID-19 because of what we had learned about the health system in particular, that public health um, was quite underfunded. You know, these are all the health experts like Michael Baker and Nick Wilson and Aisha Viral that we heard talking about the pandemic and giving advice about contact tracing and testing and all that sort of stuff very underfunded areas. Um, Some doctors have been saying the whole report needed to be rewritten. That hasn't happened. Um, But Heather uh, Simpson, in her intro to the report, said that we have a world-class health system, but they're going to completely overhaul it anyway, but she said that that it did stand out well to COVID-19, but if anything, the experience of COVID-19 has shown us that we need these reforms even more and I I can only guess she's talking about things like health inequities and we know that if COVID-19 had come here it would more likely hit Maori and Pacific communities harder than others and so you know inequity is the big thing that this is setting out to address more than anything and I guess COVID-19 brings that all into sharp focus.
2: That's it for today. I'm Emile Donovan. Thanks very much to Ro and Quinn for joining me. Thanks, Emil. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile phone every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so other people can find us too. This episode was engineered by Blair Stagpole and Jeremy Ansell and produced by Alexia Russell. Ka kite anō.